0: Last week, Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples. If you remember back in the Upper Room Discourse, in that parting word series, Jesus was speaking with his disciples, and he says, one of you will betray me, and then he sends Judas out, and he says, go, do what you need to do, and do it quickly. So Satan enters into the heart of Judas, and Judas leaves and departs, to betray Jesus. Jesus then travels to the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he spends time in this, in this garden with, with his disciples. They actually end up falling asleep. They're supposed to be keeping guard. Jesus is praying to the Father, spending time asking God if there's any way for God to remove what he has planned for him to do so. And God says, no, you must fulfill this purpose in your life. You must do what I have planned for you. And so Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And then... Judas comes to the garden and he brings with him what we're told is a a cohort of men, probably somewhere between 600 and 1,000 men that accompany Judas to come and arrest Jesus and lead him away to his trial. We saw that last week. A man that Jesus had poured his life into, had spent time with, had discipled, a man who said, I am your disciple, turns Jesus over to enemies for 30 pieces of silver. Well, Jesus has been turned over in our scene tonight. And we're going to pick up in verse number 12. And what we're going to see tonight is two events. There's a, there's a trial that Jesus endured. And then we're going to see Jesus denied by yet another one of his disciples. So tonight we're going to title this an unfair trial and a friend's denial. An unfair trial and a friend's denial. We're going to be in John chapter 18 verses 12 through 27. I want to read that now. And then we'll break this passage down. So, verse 12, the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas who was the high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus So was another disciple. So that disciple was known to the high priest and he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold. And they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. And he said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again. And immediately a rooster crowed. So many events happening in this scene before us. There's going to be a lot more that we're going to behold in the coming weeks as we are walking towards Jesus' death on the cross. But I want to give us a reminder tonight, before we really jump into this passage, and it's going to be a reminder that we're going to have through, through all of this, and that is that it's easy to hear this story and to hear it as a story to hear it as fact, maybe even believe that it's true, but I want to call us to do tonight is to hear what Jesus endured and recognize that it was done for us. I'll put this, this next statement up on the screen because I want you guys, if you're taking notes, to write this down. This is so important to keep this in mind as we travel through this. Jesus endured the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Jesus endured the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Everything that Jesus is about to endure, I don't want us to separate it from why he did it. We're entering into one of the most tragic and yet yet joyful scenes in the history of mankind. But it's easy to miss that it's done to pay for the sins of man, that it's done to pay for you. And so what we see Jesus endure tonight? Because it starts right now. Jesus is on trial. He starts getting beaten right now. And he does it to pay the penalty for our sins. And we're all sinners. Which means he does it to pay for you. To pay for you. So don't Forget that as we look at these texts. Don't separate this truth from that personal reality that if you are a child of God, if you've repented of your sin, that you can look at this and say, Hallelujah, look at what he did for me. It's a lesson that we need to remember. Jesus does this to pay for the sins of mankind. But we're not the only ones that need reminded of that lesson. It's also a lesson that Peter needed to remember. I want you to turn back a few chapters to John chapter 13. Jump back to John chapter 13 because it's an essential text that sets up where we end tonight. In John chapter 13, I want to draw our attention to verse 37 and 38 because in these verses, Peter is making a declaration of his own loyalty to Jesus. This is just a few chapters back. In in our scene, just a few moments or hours ago. This is as fresh as it could possibly be. Peter was just speaking these words to Jesus. Look at verse 37 and 38. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why cannot I follow you right now? Look at this. I will lay down my life for you. And in that statement, Peter is declaring ultimate loyalty and the priority of Jesus in his life. He's saying, Jesus, I'm with you. I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll lay down my life for you right now. Jesus looks back at Peter and Jesus answers in verse 38 will you lay down your life for me truly truly I say to you a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times In that statement, Jesus exposes something in Peter. Peter, after declaring his ultimate loyalty to Jesus, is confronted by Jesus. Then not only is Peter not ready to lay his life down for Jesus, Peter isn't, isn't even ready to publicly declare allegiance to him when the pressure is on. Jesus confronts Peter with an awareness that Peter needs to have, and that is that Peter is weak. And that Peter is desperately, desperately in need of the grace and forgiveness and empowerment that only Christ can give. Peter has an issue of spiritual pride in this text. Peter says, I'll lay down my life right now. Jesus says, No, you won't. In fact, before you hear another rooster crow, you're going to deny me three times. Just put yourself in Peter's shoes. Imagine if Jesus said that to you. How motivated would you be to make sure that you remain allegiant to him? And yet, in just a few hours, the text that we just read tells us that Peter begins denying Jesus. He's in a hostile crowd. They start asking him if he's a disciple. And three times he says no. Peter, at the end of that scene, other Gospels tell us that he goes away and he just starts bitterly weeping. He was a man in desperate need of the forgiveness of Christ. He needed Christ to forgive him. Now Peter had already at this point declared Jesus Christ as Lord. reason to believe that Peter is a believer in Jesus Christ. He's a genuine disciple. But Peter has a moment of weakness here in which he denies the man that he has been following. He's confronted with the fact that he is in desperate need of Christ's forgiveness. He's he's desperately needy. He is weak. He is human. And apart from the grace of Christ, he can do nothing good. So tonight, as we break this down, I want our outline to be structured this way. Two actions by Peter that reveal his need for a savior two actions by Peter that reveal his need for a savior Peter needed to know that he was broken earlier in this gospel we saw Peter confess Jesus Christ as God but even in that scene we were told that he was only able to do that because God enabled him to do so Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but God himself revealed this to you, Peter, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Peter needs reminded. Peter needs this event to happen in his life to recognize that he is weak and that he desperately needs the forgiveness of Christ. Remember where we left off last week. Judas has just betrayed Jesus. One of his disciples has turned on him. When that happened, and these hundreds of men that come to capture Jesus, they seize him, and you remember what his disciples did? They scattered. They ran in every direction, terrified for their lives. They they just started sprinting off with absolute desperation. His disciples scattered. So a group of men lead Jesus away to the location where we find ourselves tonight back in chapter 18, verse 12. In chapter 18, verse 12, we see Jesus being led by this Roman cohort and he's arrested and bound and in verse 13 taken to a man named Annas. Annas was a former high priest, a religious leader, and he was a father-in-law to the current high priest. And verse 13 kind of explains that to us, that Annas was a father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the current high priest. And we're given a brief little footnote about who Caiaphas is. It's a while back, but in chapter 11, there was a discussion happening as people were trying to plot to kill Jesus. And Caiaphas was the high priest who had prophesied that Jesus would die that year. And he had said that it was expedient, profitable, best for one man to die on behalf of the people. And and those words began to trigger thoughts in people's minds that led to the very very events that we're seeing in this scene. The words of Caiaphas, the high priest, prophesying that Jesus would die and saying that it's, it's expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people literally started to turn the gears in people's minds that led to this scene. They started planning because of what he said. And so the way that this scene is playing out is that Jesus is coming, and ultimately he's going to go before this high priest Caiaphas. But before he does that, they take him to a former high priest named Annas. And and the notation that John gives here almost gives like this, this sense that he's coming before this old high priest And if this older high priest gives the go-ahead, that he's going to be taken to Caiaphas. And if he gets to Caiaphas, Jesus is done. Caiaphas was the one who said it's expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. So if Jesus gets to Caiaphas, his fate is sealed. Now, we know that Jesus is heading to the cross and nothing can deter that. From a divine perspective, we know that that's happening right now. But from a human perspective, there's still some things up in the air on whether or not Jesus is going to die. And that's really important to remember in this text. From a human perspective, you're still wondering, well, maybe Jesus gets out of it. Maybe they don't kill him. Maybe Annas sees him as innocent. Maybe he doesn't send him to Caiaphas. Maybe Jesus doesn't have to die. Anyone watching this scene would have been thinking that. So Jesus comes before Annas, but what we're told is that Jesus isn't alone. Remember when all of his disciples scattered? A few of them were lagging behind and following Jesus to this place. Look at verse 15 and 16. Simon Peter was following Jesus. And so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. Okay, so pause for just a second. So Simon Peter is following Jesus. Jesus led away by hundreds of men, wouldn't have been difficult to follow. Simon Peter's lagging behind. He's following him. He wants to keep his eyes on Jesus. And there's another disciple that's with Simon Peter. We're not told who that other disciple is. He's referred to vaguely here, which probably means that it's John, the author of this book. That's probably what it means because that's how John has referred to himself pretty much through this entire book. He's never really referred to himself by name. He's been the disciple who Jesus loved, or a disciple, or here I think another disciple. You have Simon Peter and some other disciple, probably John, are the only ones that are staying with Jesus. They're following him. In other words, I think these two disciples are Jesus' most loyal disciples these are the ones that even as jesus is being led away are lagging behind him when all other disciples have scattered they're still hanging with him they're still following him and what we're told in verses 15 and 16 is that this other disciple actually had a personal relationship with annas this 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 former high priest so What happens is, somehow, this disciple that's not Simon Peter, probably John, they get into this room where Jesus is about to be held on trial. He gets into the room because he knows the high priest. So he gets into the room. He's in there and, and Jesus is in there. He sees what's happening and somehow Peter catches his attention and this other disciple comes and lets Peter into this room. Now this room was guarded with a gate. There was a gatekeeper, but this per, the, the, the other disciple, John probably, had enough sway to be able to get Peter into this room. Just imagine where they are. Jesus led away by a small army of men. They're on trial in this room, and John and Peter sneak in. It's like a movie scene here. Like these guys are like behind the enemy lines, trying to maintain their cover, but trying to defend their Savior. It's crazy. You've got to imagine their hearts are racing because this is a terrifying scene. Every other disciple fled because their lives were at stake. But these men followed and were still with Jesus. Jesus no doubt would have known that these men were in the room with him. And so here they are with Jesus. Judas has just denied Jesus. But in this scene, it's not someone that has betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. In this scene, we're going to see even Jesus' most loyal friend deny. And that's, that's what's being set up right now. G- Peter, Peter's in the room. His life's at stake. He's putting it all on the line. He's, he's, these are Jesus' most loyal followers. And yet even they are about to deny him. That starts to unfold in verse 17. There's a slave girl, the one who kept the door. She looks to Peter and she says, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. So Peter stands there in a circle with these enemies. They're just standing on a charcoal fire. He's war- they're keeping warm. It's cold. It's nighttime. Someone starts to recognize him. He says, "No, I'm not his, I'm not his follower." I was just looking down hoping that he's not noticed but wanting to stay with Jesus. Then the scene changes back to Jesus in verse 19. The high priest begins to ask Jesus a question. We're told that he questions him about two things. See it in verse 19. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about, first, his disciples and about his teachings. In other words, the high priest is looking to Jesus and he's asking him a very specific question. He's asking Jesus, what did you teach your followers? His disciples and his teachings, what did you teach those who followed you? That is what Annas asks Jesus. Now we need to enter a little bit into the mind of his accusers here. What Annas would have been most concerned about is that Jesus was going to cause an an insurrection or a riot. That the people were going to riot because Jesus had been taken captive. And so he's concerned about what has Jesus told his followers. He needs to know what he told them because he needs to know what the people are going to do now that Jesus is under arrest. So he says, what did you teach your followers? What have you taught them? Now, a brief note on that. What Annas just asked Jesus is illegal. You're not allowed to ask what Annas just asked. A man under trial cannot be condemned based on his own testimony. That was part of their law. You can only be condemned based on the testimony of another man. And that's a really important nuance in this story. Jesus His words are not allowed to condemn him. Only the testimony of another man can save him or condemn him. So Annas asks, What have you taught your followers? Look at Jesus' response I have spoken openly to the world, I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have spoken nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. What Jesus just said in those verses is he looks back at Annas and he says, don't ask me. Don't ask me what I taught my followers. Ask my followers. I can't save myself. I need the testimony of another to defend me. I need the testimony of another to accuse me. So don't ask me what I taught my followers. Everything I spoke was never in secret. It was always public. So Jesus says, go ask the ones who followed me. Ask them what I taught. Now, we have to ask a question here. We're about to hit this first point, but we have to ask a question. Why is John including this story in his gospel? Why is John telling us that Peter denies Jesus? Is it really that important? <laughs> Jesus is going to go to the cross either way. And yet every single gospel writer tells us this story. Why are these details included? Why is he telling us about the high priest, Annas? Because actually, he, John is the only gospel writer that tells us about this part of the story. What's he getting at? Why is he including all of these details that no other gospel writer has included? I think it's really important to remember that Annas asks Jesus what he's taught his followers. Jesus points Annas back to his followers. And Jesus has a follower in the room. Notice that? Jesus tells Annas, ask those who followed me. Peter's in the room. Peter followed Jesus. Peter, at this moment, could stand up and testify to the teachings of Jesus. Peter at this moment could declare that Jesus' message was not one of hate and of fighting and of animosity, but that it was one of peace and love. Peter could say that right now, but he doesn't. And that's where we find the first action by Peter that reveals his need for a savior. Number one, Peter said nothing when a witness was needed. Peter said nothing when a witness was needed. The power of a witness in this scene cannot be overstated. It is only by the name of a witness that Jesus can be either condemned or pardoned. It takes another man's testimony Now again, we've talked about this from a a divine perspective. Jesus' destiny is secured. He's going to die on the cross. But from a human perspective, and and specifically from Peter's perspective, Jesus is in desperate need in the scene for someone to testify on his behalf. In fact, he asks for it. Jesus says, ask my followers. Go to them. They heard me. They can testify of what I've taught. They know it because none of it was private. Just remember who Peter is in this scene. Just a few moments ago, Peter said things like, God, I will never deny you. Jesus testified to his death, he said, I'm going to die. And Peter said, Forbid that that would happen. Peter says, Jesus, no matter what, I'm going down with you. In fact, just a few moments ago in the garden, when Jesus is being led away, Peter pulls out his sword and swings at the head of one of the soldiers. Cuts off his ear. Like if anyone's going down with Jesus, it's Peter. But in this scene where Jesus is, is saying anyone can testify to what I've caught, to what I've to what I've taught, Peter says nothing. He's silent. He's silent as, as Jesus, the man that he loves and the man that he follows has no one to defend him. So Jesus is attacked. Verse 22, when he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus is struck. It's the first time. Probably beaten. The other gospels seem to indicate that this is the scene where he's beaten and spit upon for asking the high priest the question that Jesus just asked him. Peter's there. He's watching. Jesus says in verse 23 that he's done nothing wrong. Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if right, if I'm right, if I've spoken correctly, why do you strike me? Jesus knows that, uh, Annas knows that Jesus has spoken correctly, so he sends him to Caiaphas. Jesus is sent out bound to another trial. Where has Peter been during this whole scene? Verse 25. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. He's not defending the man that he said he would die defending. Luke 22 33 says that Peter looked at Jesus and said, Lord, with you, with you, I'm ready to go to prison or to death. I'm ready, Lord, for, for you, with you, prison, death, whatever. But Peter doesn't do what he said he would do. He stands by, staying warm by the fire. But it gets worse because as he stands by that fire, we're shown the second action by Peter that reveals his need for a savior. The second action by Peter is that Peter denied Christ when he was asked. Peter denied Jesus when he was asked. He's still around the fire. And remember just a few moments ago, a girl came up to him and said, weren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said, I am not. And, and based on kind of a combination of all the gospels that tell the same story, it seems like that girl is still convinced that he is the one. And so she kind of keeps talking. She's, she's still suspicious and maybe talking to other people. And the crowd, like there's multiple people around him that are also suspicious because it becomes, it becomes plural. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, "The group is growing. You are not also one of his disciples, are you?" And again, Peter denied it. Peter says, "I am not one of his disciples. I'm not." And again, based on some other gospel testimony, Jesus uh, Peter starts to like curse. He goes over. He says, "I've never even heard of the man. I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't know him." He denies his Lord. That's twice. And that happens yet a third time. Verse 26. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off. Okay, so go back to the garden. Peter attacks this, this slave of one of the high priests. He attacks him with a sword, swings for his head, cuts his ear. That person had a relative who was also there. They saw... Their relative being attacked and remembered what Peter looked like. They're standing around this fire. And so they say, I remember you. I, didn't I see you in the garden? It's getting worse. It's getting more specific. Peter denies it again. He denies his Lord. And immediately a rooster crows. This is the fulfillment of what we just looked at in John chapter 13, 38. Peter denies Jesus three times, and right away a rooster crows. And right away, Peter knows. He knows what's happening. He knows that he has denied his Lord. Why are we told this story? Remember, every every gospel writer tells this story but, but why are we told it this way in John I want us to know that this story adds so much significance to what's about to happen it's next to Judas betrayal of Jesus for a reason Jesus is betrayed by one of his disciples but he's also denied by perhaps his most loyal follower. I want to be careful here because I don't just want to beat up Peter, even though this text does that. As much as we can look at Peter and say he denies him, Peter and one of the disciples are the only ones that followed Jesus to this point. And that's the point. That even the ones who followed Jesus this far, that even Peter, as strong as he is, as loyal of a follower as he is, even Peter's going to fall. Even Peter is going to need forgiven because even Peter, the most loyal follower, is going to deny Christ. And so he's desperately going to need the forgiveness of Christ. It happens and Peter just breaks down. He starts Bitterly weeping, he he leaves, he goes out, and he's just mourning over what he has just done, desperately desiring to be forgiven because he's denied his God. Even Peter needs what is about to happen on the cross. In a little while, we're going to be in this passage, but I, I want you to just be aware that in John chapter 21, Jesus is going to reappear to Peter. And (laughs) he's going to look to Peter and he's going to ask him a question. He looks to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Jesus asks it again. Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. Jesus says it again. Peter, Do you love me? Peter says, I've told you that I love you. I love you. And Jesus calls Peter to obedience. He says, then take care of my sheep. Jesus asked Peter three times if Peter loves him. Because three times Peter denied him. And Jesus, in this moment, three times asks Peter to testify of his love for Jesus. And then he charges him to be obedient and to fulfill what God had for Peter. Make no mistake, Peter is forgiven for this. Peter denies Jesus. But Jesus is going to go to the cross and pay for the sins of mankind, including what Peter does in this scene. Because even Jesus' most loyal follower desperately needs Christ's forgiveness. Peter needed a lesson in humility. He needed a lesson in his own weakness, in his humanity, even in his own own cowardice. We need that same lesson just as we are proud We're just as sinful and Jesus goes to the cross to forgive in us much the same sins that he's forgiving in Peter the point is not that Peter if he had succeeded in some of the things that we're talking about here would have stopped Jesus from dying Jesus was going to die the point of this story is that Peter couldn't do what Peter thought that he could do So he's taught an important lesson. And Jesus continues to walk to his death to cover, to pay for the sins of man. Peter needed the same lesson that we do our our sin is great, Peter's denial is significant. This is a big mistake. But God's grace is greater. Peter desperately needed it. And God freely gave it. And that lesson that Peter needed to learn is a lesson that we all need to learn and contemplate and meditate and if you've received that grace to praise God for. Because just like Peter we can all tend to be spiritually proud. So let's relish this truth. Our sin is great. But Jesus is going to the cross. And his grace is greater.